Epic gumdrop, sweeter than three sticks of dynamite in the opposing goblin's cave. Hello, Jeff. Hey, James. Just a reminder that if you want to see images of these games, detailed notes for the episode, or want to leave a comment, please click on the link in the show notes or head over to BreakingDads.com. 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 You can also find me on Twitter at Epic Gumdrop. And this week, we're going to take a look at two recent games that have dug a deep tunnel into our house. They are getting so much play. I feel like there's foreshadowing with the dig a deep tunnel. Absolutely not. Nothing's going to cave in. Greedy Gree Goblins and Nitwit. While these games are both fun for all ages, they are thematically, they couldn't be farther apart. I think this is as far apart as any two games we've had on the show. Yeah. The main thing they have in common is that they're both brought to us by great, great game designers. Let's start out with Knitwit. Knitwit, which we should point out is spelled like knitting. It is. Yes. I feel like that's important. It's important for the following information. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah. If you don't know how it's spelled. This is one of those, the theme did not immediately appeal to me when I saw this. It did not immediately appeal to you? Well, you know, hey, I like knitting. I I am a knitter, but... Are you really? Yeah, I can knit. How have I known you this? Oh, you can knit. I can knit. I don't do it all the time, but... Well, then you're not really a knitter. mm. You're someone who knows how to knit. I feel like there's a huge gulf between those two facts. That's true. I haven't made you a stuffy yet with a little monkey stuffy with hearts. You can make me a monkey stuffy? No, I couldn't. Well, then why are you saying you could? (laughs) Why are you making promises? I'm sure there's an internet video out there that could teach me how to do that. Yeah. Get yeah. it. James, you don't do enough in your life. No. I want, I'm upset that I don't have a stuffy now. Whatever. Continue with your little show. <laughs> so, well, I thought this theme immediately, yeah, did not appeal to me. Uh, whatever. I like knitting, but no. But then I remembered the, the fun I've been having with Patchwork, mm-hmm. uh, as we talked about recently. That was another one where I looked at the theme and thought, I don't know. And I think a lot of people did. And then you play it and you go like, whoa, okay, yeah. I love this game. Yeah. So I trust the designer. This is what I thought. I thought uh, Matt Leacock, as the sticker on the front of knit, the Knitwit box reminds us, is the designer of Pandemic, a game which has nothing to do with this. Pandemic. Never heard of it. Eh? Yeah, I don't don't no. know that that's does that sell okay your grandma and her dog play it together right it's yeah it's everyone has seen it mm-hmm. by this point eh um eh? Eh? <laughs> very good <laughs> uh leacock is probably best known for his mastery of the cooperative game forbidden right. island forbidden desert pandemic and all the expansions and spinoffs his designs are thoughtful and elegant and despite the knitting theme not appealing to me a new knitwit would get some game night mileage in our house right but the game is not about knitting what, what, yep, what? I'm wrecking it for you right now, Jeff. It's well, not about knitting. But Patchwork's about building a quilt. I know. This is called Knit Wit. The knitters in my life looked at this and said, uh, that's a sewing box. And those are sewing spools, regardless of what gauge you of thread you put on them. And uh, and I was like, yeah, and the clothespins are for hanging my laundry in the 1950s. Right. Like, it's... So odd titling for the theme and even the theme's a little bit mixed up. I... <laughs> So I, I was like, oh, come on. And then I thought, knee-jerk reaction. I'm just going to, let's get into the game itself. Right. So how does it work? Players take turns placing a colored loop on the table. of It's thread, string, something like that. Uh, the important point is that it surrounds exactly one spool. Unless you're the first player, in which case you just put it down because there are no spools out yet. The same player takes a word from the uh, word box and clips it to the clothespin attached to the freshly placed loop. Then they place a spool inside any loop area that doesn't already have a spool. So in other words, you might find a section of one loop or it might be an intersection of multiple loops. Maybe this beautiful Venn diagram you've created. Yes. The main point is that you can't have more than one spool 
uh, in the same section because these loop spool combos make the upcoming word challenges so you can't have the same thing twice that's one of those things when you describe a game mechanic versus it's, play a game mechanic yeah. it's much simpler than it sounds it is basically you, you look at the box you're like oh yeah. okay yeah exactly you put down some string which is in loop form you put a spool inside of it the spool cannot intersect in the same way with any other spools yeah yeah. That's it. And and the, the strings can inter the loops mm -hmm. can intersect. And that's what's going to create the combinations. Exactly. The fun combi categories. Yeah. So now it's time for the main part of the game. So you look over at your brain's word heap stored safely beside you on the floor. Uh, if there's any children present, remove some of the words you got in there and throw them outside. And so prepare to be unique with your answers. You can be mm -hmm. quick thinking, unique. Essentially, everybody will look at the spools one by one, and each spool has uh, one or more loops around it. These loops have words attached. An example would be if a spool... Spool one has the words wild and dark associated or clipped to the, the clothespins. You need to come up with one or more words that relate to that. That's going to be kind of like an answer you're going to create. So you might write senior center at night or my cat. It's very subjective and can be as silly slash inappropriate as the group allows slash demands. And this continues until everyone is done writing answers for all the spools words present on the table. Scoring is pretty straightforward. Each spool adds one point to your answer. So if it's a, you know, three spool word or three spool clue or whatever, uh, you're going to get three points for that. Right. In the example, uh, you would score two points because there was two spools used, unless both your grandparents wrote senior center at night, in which case everyone feels uncomfortable and neither of your grandparents scores points because their answer wasn't unique. That's a pretty typical word game thing, I think. Uh, as well, your cousin who wrote wild forest party as his answer doesn't score because he used one of the spool words in the answer. So wild, you can't reuse that if that was one of the clues can't be in the answer. Okay? Right. That, that makes total sense. Easy peasy. Finally, if your answer seems hopelessly rushed, like an attempt that doesn't make any sense, then someone can shout nitwit and you will be given 10 seconds to explain why you wrote the cupboard under the sink as your answer. If everyone gives a thumbs up, uh, you score points as usual. If they give a thumbs down, your answer doesn't score at all. Again, pretty straightforward. Does it have to be unanimous or just uh, majority rules? Or is that something you discuss as a group? I think it's a majority. That would make sense because otherwise so. that person that just hates you because you're you. Yeah, that's true. So where is the little twist, the little cleverness? Uh, I think it probably lies with the use of these buttons. So there's four buttons. Each round, there's a stack of them and they have uh, one through four holes in them. And you're going to stack them from largest to smallest. And when a player is done writing their answer for all of the spool cues or is given up because they just don't have any words, they are going to take a button from the top of the pile. This gives you a bonus in the scoring round, depending on how many buttons your button has. So how if many you, holes the button has. Sorry, how many holes. Yeah. So if you're really quick, do, 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 and you can't quite get one of the, one of the answers, you can just go, eh, forget it. I'm just going to take that one with four holes and I'm going to get a four point bonus anyway. Right. So there's a bit of a trade-off. But I think the real purpose of the buttons is to act basically as a game timer. So instead of giving you a sand timer or having everyone pull out their phones, the buttons had a little pressure on the players to hurry up and come up with something smart and unique. And pressure is one of the best elements of a party game because it prevents player over analysis and allows everyone to be a bit silly with their answers because the clock forced them to. Right. The pressure also makes the game play really fast. The box is 15 minutes and that's probably about accurate. So the beauty of this is that within one game, everyone understands the rules and you can quickly play again with a level playing field. As well, it means that you can probably rapidly play a series of grudge matches with the anxiety and animosity ratcheting up each game until finally someone throws a handful of sharp-edged vowels and verbs at the other player or someone blacks out from thinking too hard. That'd, that'd be me. <laughs> Just can't do it anymore. It's too much. My head hurt. 
Uh, comparisons have been made to categories, which I don't think is entirely fair. Like categories has categories and only gives you a letter uh, based on a die roll to work from for your answers. And maybe it's because they're both word games that involve guessing, but it's kind of like saying Dungeons and Dragons and Yahtzee are the same because they both use dice. Word games suffer from mm-hmm. that a little bit. I think um, there's a, I, a not snobbery towards them, but it's just, I guess, because they have words, it just seems like such a big overpowering mechanic that they all get lumped together. But there's a lot of subtlety that you can have in yeah, word games. For sure. And I feel like this one has the broadest categories with the most different ways you can answer it. Because it doesn't yeah. have to be one word answers. They can be, you could write a paragraph as long as you don't use the words <laughs> in the clue. Yeah. And you don't mind taking a million years and you have really tiny printing to fit on the card. I don't remember what it says. It has a hundred and some odd, what is that? A hundred and fourteen word tags. So, I mean, you're going to see so many combos too. Mm. You're, you're never going to get really see the same thing twice. So giving you those static words too gives you so much variety. And yeah, yeah it's a very variable game. Mm-hmm. So not at all like... No, categories. and you can use any letters. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's very... Anyway, I yeah, I think it's, it's unfortunate for word games. They kind of get not short shrift, but people... Yeah, I guess it, maybe people just don't like... Language isn't their big thing, right. or they're not like word nerds. Maybe it's something that it's a bit... You know, they just are like, I'd rather roll dice and whack things. Although I feel like this is the least word nerdy. I think so. Yeah, I think this one... You don't have to know a lot of words, because yeah. they give you the words, and you got to come up with something weird. It's more about your lateral thinking. Mm-hmm. So I, I think we'd be good at this game. Although we'd be horrible at this game together. Together, I think we, if just you and I played, it would be a search for the most terrible thing we could write. That's true. And that would be a problem. We'd have to come up with rules. You know, we can't, there's certain things we can't even talk about in in our answers. It'd just be terrible. Yeah. yeah. Who could come up with the most? Def- that's what it turns into if it's adults playing. It just turns into the most offensive game ever. Yeah, for sure. It would share a lot with uh, Cards Against Humanity in that way. Except you're, that. you're owning your horribleness in yes, this one. Exactly. So, yeah, Nitwit's a party game. Party games are supposed to be about interactive fun. They're for people of varying ages and life experiences and different degrees of game obsession. It's a word game, which is a successful breed of party game because most of us own a reasonably large heap of words, varying in quality and family friendliness. My main concern then is whether this is a clever, fun family friendly game that's why i kind of my, mm-hmm. i thought okay that's the approach i'm going to take on this one it does it kind of fulfill those things and i think the answer is yes yes and yes like it's it's clever it's fun and it's totally family friendly um despite the misleading title surely there were a few sewing related word plays left out there i didn't search that in the bgg maybe they literally all the sewing phrases got used up somehow yeah I, they could have been maybe really hard pressed or i think they really wanted wit in this one as uh, that is i think the key component and yeah. i think also they enjoy the idea that you get to turn to someone and point and say nitwit that's there are very few socially true. acceptable yeah. situations where you can do that that's uh, that's a good point yeah and the phrases like sewing up it, it could just sound too much like a uh, an autopsy like it's yeah. just you kind of I don't know maybe they didn't that didn't hit the right tone so what could have been good but do you really want a game like that just begs the critics yeah this game came out and so what well this one was made by some nitwits I mean yeah, I don't <laughs> know you could get that no matter what I suppose and games critics aren't all that mean so <laughs> beyond that how does it play with kids I think uh, the age rating of age 8 plus they list on the box is, is actually pretty accurate mm-hmm. uh, there's some abstract thinking involved when you need to come up with your answers and that might not be immediately easy for all kids but I think it's a it's a good game to introduce those concepts to kids right. the creative reasoning used to come up with these answers is fun and interesting and they get to you think you have weird stuff in your head play this game with an 8 year old and you will have your conception of weirdness completely redefined like the stuff my kids had I was like what? what? <laughs> Okay, I'm not even going to call Nitwit on that because, yeah, I totally know you've got a good reason for that. 
All right. We, which is exactly like if you play with the kids, you, you maybe you don't want to play with the buttons. Maybe right. you don't want to ever you have a no nitwit rule because the rules are fairly simple. You can adjust them completely without busting the game, Yeah, which I think is kind of nice. That's yeah, always that, good in a family game. That's key for a family game. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And I can see, yeah, if you're playing with young kids, they tend to write slower. So take the buttons out because it's, uh, it's not that they haven't, they're probably quicker at coming up with the words and phrases. Yeah. It's the physical act of writing them down. Exactly. That could take some time. Yeah. And you could just, you make it three rounds or four rounds. Like you could mm-hmm. define it in however you want. It's yeah. a good framework for having that kind of a fun. Right. So if you love games, then having a few on your shelf that appeal to a wide variety of ages and experience levels is totally essential. It accommodates two to eight players, which means it has again even more flexibility uh, several of you can quickly play a game of this while waiting for the rest of your game group to show up nitwit isn't a game that's going to get pulled out all the time i feel like mm-hmm. but it's a beautiful fast-paced word game party game to have in our collection i don't know how much we played as a two-player game yeah i i didn't i just don't see that you know there's other fast games that do low player accounts i think better but i'm looking forward to say groups of four to eight for maximum silliness yeah absolutely so yeah i i think but for a family game i it a word game is important and this is as far as word games go a pretty good word game yeah i would say and definitely you have to look at the packaging yeah on this one as well yeah they're gonna hit that christmas market aren't they they stepped up their game <laughs> on the packaging it's one of the nicest mm-hmm. game box when it arrived i didn't know what the box looked like yeah i was like oh wow okay and then i almost destroyed it trying to take it apart yeah so it wasn't entirely i was like what how does this it's not coming out and then it came out and you open it up like a sewing box mm-hmm. little magnetic clip on it yep. folds out uh, or up so the box doesn't come apart. You literally just open it with yeah. this hinge almost. And it's got the spools mm-hmm. and everything. And it. it looks just gorgeous the way they've... You have to kind of assemble it And then you it assemble the it and it doesn't go back in as yeah. well. That's the one downside. Well, it's not going to ever look the same. But it sure looks beautiful when you open it mm-hmm. up. So that makes it such a beautiful gift thing. Because mm-hmm. someone will open it and go, ooh, this looks exciting. I want to play this. Yep. And then they'll spend a bit of time futzing about with it. The scoring pads, uh, I don't think I mentioned, are like how you have like white chalk and like yeah. darkened paper. It's like that. So you have white, you know, the white little pencil crayons on these, these black pages. Gives it that thematic mm-hmm. kind of sewing feel. Very cool. Yeah. So yeah, I can so definitely kudos, see. Kudos on that. They stepped it up. They were definitely aiming for big box shelves. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They will. They, this will fly off at Christmas time. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that was a very wise choice by by Zedman Games to go with this one, I think. Yeah. Matt Leacock's not going to be doing well at all with with what he's got on the shelves at the moment. Good for him. So now that you've done your uh, sewing, not knitting, in mm-hmm. a game called Knitwits, yes. can we go a different direction here? We will go the absolute opposite. This is... is it like- the absolute opposite well no i think just different because i think it'd be this is not the other side of a coin no nope. this is a completely different mint in a completely different country yeah uh greedy greedy goblins the title the box art the theme it tells you you're about to have some light ridiculous fun for two to four players i'll read the introduction here yeah. in greedy greedy goblins you and the other players take the roles of goblin clans mining out a mountain laden with riches fabulous gems and glittering gold can be found but you must be careful that your goblins don't blow themselves up in their eagerness to collect the loot yeah, that gives you the... There's the flavor. Whee! Yep. There's going to be goblins. Boom. There's going to be digging. There's going to be explosions. It's gonna Sign be me up. Silliness. Yeah. There's no board. Uh, instead, there's these postcards that represent each mine in varying number, depending on the number of players. Uh, there's also one postcard called the Guild Hall. And these postcards are laid out around this pile of face-down tiles. Each tile is a random treasure or a bonus or a danger that each player is going to play. So like dominoes, players choose a tile from the center pile. You look at the tile and you determine which mine do you want to place it down on face-down. You take a peek and no one else sees it and then you're going to place it down. Do you put it in the mine that you're stockpiling goodies for yourself in? Do you place it in a mine across the table where your opponent seems to be stockpiling tiles themselves? 
Are those stockpiled tiles valuable or are they all sticks of dynamite? When you finally lay down your three goblin pawns, thereby claiming the mine as your own at scoring time, so you got this big you know, colored tile that's going to be, you have three of them, it's very clear who's who, you're kind of trying to place it and figure out what are you going to get? Will you take the, you know, the sure bet of the mine you're going to be, you've been working on, or, or alternatively, are you going to place a goblin in the guild hall and simply collect a minion, avoiding the risk? Or will you take a huge risk by claiming the mine your neighbor's been filling with who knows what? At this point, Greedy Greedy Goblin sounds like a nice guessing game, but it's so much more than that. A major factor of what makes this game so good is simultaneous gameplay, which I, I just loved it. As soon as we got into that, it was mm. you all players take a tile peek at it and lay it at the exact same time, which means that players don't have time to try to think too hard about their opponent's strategies because they are so busy thinking about their own. The strategy is based more on gut than analysis. And it also doesn't feel like you're out to get someone. Yeah. Which, because uh, we were talking about how how it avoids kids feeling like they're being pounded on, mm -hmm. you know, when they're like the adults, like, you know, intentionally blowing up their mind. They're so busy thinking, they're not thinking about what you're putting in yeah. their mind or what, who's putting what, where. So by the end of the thing, he captures that same thing he got in King of Tokyo, where you feel like the game is against you, not the other player. Yeah. Which is so beautiful when you play games with kids because it hurt feelings are so easy. You know, mm -hmm. some kids don't care, but some kids are really sensitive. So it's it's nice to have a game where the, it feels like the game is it's silly and the game did it. Yeah, yeah it's things happen and bad things are going to happen and bad things are going to happen to you. But that's OK, because they're also going to happen to other people and uh, nobody's out to get you. No, except the goblins. <laughs> At this point, yeah, it, your gut analysis has to tell you a lot. So that that strategy of of based on more gut than analysis, has to tell you a lot, though. There's five basic tile types to make the decision about. I'll, just, I'll quickly run through because it gives you a sense of what the game's really about. You got your treasure. So emeralds, rubies, sapphires, gold, diamonds. These are going to score your points. Uh, they even score you double points if you're the tre if that's the treasure your faction favors. For example, Team Yellow, I don't remember what their name is, favors gold. Yeah. So it's right on your card. You've got a little postcard that yep. shows your faction. It's color-coded. You got a silly name. Super easy. Dynamite. When the mine is scored, uh, the dynamite isn't necessarily a bad thing. So if there's a, one of the tiles has a single stick of dynamite, it's going to double your points for the whole haul in that mine. Two sticks is going to triple your points for the mine. You're like, woo, that's a windfall. All right, more dynamite, the better, right? Absolutely, until you get three or more sticks, and then it destroys everything, and you score nothing. But even worse, you lose five coins. So this disincentive helps balance the risk-reward of putting dynamite in your own mines. Because mm -hmm. you're like, okay, I'll put one stick in my own mine, because that's awesome. But then so will all the other players, and then boom. Right. So it's a lot of or Or you're like, mines. aha, I'll put a stick of dynamite in their mine, and then another opponent also does that, and now they're getting three times. Yeah, yeah. and the, the third stick doesn't go in, and you're like, ah... Uh, the next one is monsters. They eat treasure for lunch. So at scoring, each monster basically negates a treasure tile. They're not the worst thing, but they're kind of meh. Minions, little critters, basically that activate a second element of the game, which is the minion cards. And we'll get more of those in a minute. But basically, they're all varying degrees of helpful to you. So if you get a minion, you're going to get a card. You're going to get to use that card later. Right. And uh, final thing is torches. And if you, you know, pick one of these up, you get to choose whether or not you actually want to play it. So you could put it face down just like a normal tile, or if you can lay it face up in anyone's mind, yours or anyone else's, then flip over another tile to take it for everyone to see permanently. Just it basically, it's like you've illuminated part of the cave. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a nice way of getting a sense of what's what else is going on out there in, in the caves. So if yeah. you if you think someone's doing something, if you kind again, your gut's telling you something's going on, you can quickly get a gauge that. But it, it's more you think you're going to do more with it than you do but it's still it's kind of fun kind of foils people's plans too because they've just laid down this clever thing and you think oh they're putting down good stuff or bad stuff and then you lay it and they're like ah oh, 
they saw what I just did. Those fast simultaneous decisions have the exactly the right amount of complexity to make them delightfully difficult yet totally pleasing. Because this game plays so quickly, you have no time for regret. You're too busy deciding when and where you're going to slam your goblin down and claim a mine all for your own. But uh, let's take a moment and go through those minion cards. Right. Because they, they really do seem to drive a lot of the game. They come in a few varieties, but they also do something useful. Uh, each of the four treasure types associated with a goblin have three cards in them that make them a plus one in value. So you'll get a goblin that gives you plus one gold, plus one rubies, plus one emeralds, whatever. So it's great for you. Well, and even if it's not your faction, you'll get that yeah. plus one. If it's your faction, you're going to get like a plus one for your faction, plus one for the card. So you can get ultimately like three base points for a single treasure. Yep. If you've got both of those things in play. So yeah, if you're a sapphire cutter minion and then all the sapphires you have in play is worth one additional coin. And then if it's your factions plus two, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Since there's no, you know, there's a diamond card that makes uh, diamonds worth plus two, but there's no faction that does diamonds, so that makes sense. Right. So it works evenly for everyone is basically the, the, how those ones go. Then there's also minion cards to affect each of the other tile types. So the Guildmaster makes each minion tile in a cave score two coins. Uh, the Wrangler card means that monsters in this cave don't eat your treasure and end up scoring you a coin for that monster. The Expert Miner has the amount of dynamite in a cave, which is perfect if you claim, you've claimed a cave that has a little bit too much explosives in it on purpose. Uh, alternatively, you can play the Sapper, which puts one dynamite in a cave that had none, thereby doubling your score, possibly. And finally, uh, there's a few minions that have some extra special abilities. While most of the minions are discarded after use, there's a Banker minion, which is a recurring that gets you a plus one coin uh, each and every scoring round you play it. It might not seem much, but you know, five coins at the end of the game might be the big difference. And the Canary card saves your goblin from being blown up when there's too much dynamite in a cave. You don't get to score the cave, but you also don't also don't lose the five coins. Uh, again, might not seem like a big deal, but you you know add those little five here, five there yeah. up, and it could make the end game difference. The scavenger card enables you to add uh, up to three more mining tiles to the cave it is played on. So with a little luck and some other well played minion cards to give you additional modifiers, you could end up with a huge bonus on a cave. And then finally, there's the claim jumper. If this game didn't have enough player interactivity already, then it adds a little bit more. While all the minions are played during the scoring round, the banker and the claim jumper are exceptions. Essentially, the claim jumper allows you to place a goblin on another goblin's claim. So they've put their tile down and said, that's mine. Well, you can put yours there too now. And you will also share the rewards and you also share the risks with the player who originally claimed that. And the game ends when the player has reached 100 coins or more at the end of a round. As you might expect with a game this light and fun, the rules are straightforward and easy to understand. Within a single round, my eight-year-old understood the basic gameplay. I imagine most adults develop a strategy after a couple of rounds, and if you've played the game a bunch, it might take a game for a newcomer to kind of hone their skills and get up to speed with you, Mm -hmm. but they'll have it very quickly. And gameplay doesn't alter radically between two to four players. At two and three players, there will be no extra spaces o- left over. Say in a two-player game, you've got uh, five guild halls or five mines and one guild halls. That's, mm-hmm. that's six spaces total. We've each got three goblins, so we'd be forced to take everything. Yeah. So even if there's a crummy mine, one of us has to yeah, take. Even it. if you've been spending the whole game, uh, the whole round, placing dynamite in that one, so you yeah. know for a fact there's five <laughs> yeah. or six pieces of dynamite in that cave, and the other person is quick to lay down their yeah. goblins. You're, you're like, you're claiming oh, it. what? Oh. But that's totally part of the fun. With four players, there'll be one extra space at the end of the round that no one has to claim. But there's also a higher chance of multiple players dumping their explosives somewhere. So yeah, the extra choice is kind of nice to have. And 
And um, that balance makes it good at any player count. Um, mm-hmm. It's critical in our house where a solid two-player game is just as important as a three- or four-player family game. Mm-hmm. And after our first playthrough, we were all like totally in love with this thing. We played it once. We just were like, ah, this is the best game. Like We had so much fun playing it. Like My kids loved it. It's just fast. The interactivity is wonderful. It scales. Uh, so with the young kids, it's still fun. But if you just played this with adults, it's also still really, really fun. Uh, games that are fun with almost any player combination like that are, I think, kind of rare. And this Absolutely. is this hits the battleship zone for us. Mm. So it can get as, like with adults, this would get consciously maybe a little slower, but a little meaner. Mm-hmm. And you would really be trying to hoop over the other player, like, and to claim your cave as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's going to be just a lot of like, ha, manic player interactivity, I think. Yeah. So I really like that. This has the advantage over Battlesheep in that, in that game, uh, when you're playing with kids, you sometimes have to make the non-optimal <laughs> yeah. move in yeah. order for tears not to flow. Yeah. Whereas in this one, you're just all doing your stuff and it's harder for them to get upset at you, like you said. Yeah. <laughs> so even if you put dynamite in their cave they might not register that it was you. Exactly. They were too busy making their own move. And yeah. so it's, they'll yeah. just, it'll slip right by them. Whereas with adults though, it's more like, did I put dynamite in your cave? What do you think? Yeah. Did I put the one, the, the gem that's of your faction yeah. for you to think that it was dynamite so that you don't claim your own cave? Exactly. Oh, life. Life. <laughs> Our house is a Richard Garfield fan club, but I think he really did something remarkable with this one. Like we, we love the programming of Robo Rally, but the game can sometimes feel like it goes on a little mm-hmm. bit too long. We love King of Tokyo, but I think the cards in the game are not always the easiest to acquire or utilize. We love Netrunner, but an asynchronous two-player game doesn't always fit this situation when the whole family wants to do something. And we love Magic the Gathering, but it's Magic the Gathering, so, you know, it's not for everybody. Greedy Greedy Goblins has a perfect mixture of all the game elements that we just want as a family game. The card art hits the theme perfectly. The tiles are about half the size of a domino, and they have a little heft. They feel Mm -hmm. substantial. There's light player interactivity with both the tile and goblin placement and there's rapid decision-making that's propelled by the simultaneous gameplay. So finally, uh, the minion cards are earned automatically, which means everyone will get them and play them easily without the assistance of a lawyer. They're, they're easy to read. Like, And I like that you just get them. That was my only thing about right. King of Tokyo is that you had to get the card, and the cards were they were great, but they're, it's more like the more you got to know the game, the more you would use mm-hmm. the cards. This, you're using the cards right away. Yeah. And you get to know them and there's not a ton of variation. And they're very obvious what they do and when you play them. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is great with kids. So it does everything we'd hoped. And I think more because I, I thought this will be silly fun and I'll like it as much as King of Tokyo. And I like, yeah. no, I like it much more than King of Tokyo because I will definitely play this more with adults. Yeah. I play King of Tokyo with adults and you get a hit and miss. It's mm-hmm. People like it, people don't. This one, I, I can't imagine anybody not liking this game. There's got to be someone out there that doesn't, but I don't someone know. who doesn't like joy. Yes, exactly. No friend of mine. Yeah, I wholeheartedly recommend you find a place in your home for this one. It's one of the best ones I've played in a while. And it will certainly keep us busy until Richard Garfield's next game, which has already been announced, uh, Bunny Kingdom, which is coming out later this year. He's going for the cuteness oh, crown, He's, he's I think. killing us with yes. the cuteness. It is going to be so... I'm looking forward to that so much. Until next time, though, I've been James. And I'm still Jeff.